Okay, let's go to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 8, and we have a story here about Ethiopia. So let's go and check out this story about Ethiopia and find out what does it have to say to us today. Uh, Do you want to start for us in verse 26, please? Yes. All right. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place okay. of the scripture she read was this. It's probably not a bad place to uh, to stop right there and to talk about this. You know, this is this is one of those unusual stories that gives you a glimpse into a world that is probably a little bit different from what we normally normally see or think about when we when we look at the past and we look at you know what the ancient jewish world looked like so often i think we have this impression that uh the jewish world was you know there was jews who followed god and that was it Mm -hmm. there was no such thing as proselytes and really when you see how you know how racist the Jews could be, and how they really didn't have anything to do with people of other nations or of other races. It kind of gives you this impression that there was no one outside of Judea or Israel, Judea at this time, but Israel in the past, who were actual followers of God. Yeah, which really goes along with that question the day yesterday and the fact that why does God work through a specific group of people when it doesn't really seem to be working very well? And I think this is an example where actually we don't know what is all going on around. The Bible is about a promise made to a specific man and how Jesus comes through that generation. But the Bible doesn't include the stories of all the people at that time who are interacting with God. And so very rarely do we get this glimpse into a world outside of just the Jewish ancestry. That's right. And of course, if you go back to the time of Noah, or if you go to the Tower of Babel even, and you go to the dispersion of people around the world, you're going to find that um, going, there's going to be a tremendous amount of people who, you know, beginning with Noah and spreading around the world from there, are going to ta- take the gospel story with them, are going to be worshippers and believers in the true God, and are going to continue that practice for many, many, many generations. And, you know, the further come, you come down through history, the more diluted you're going to find that is. But you can pretty much go to any part of the world, any culture, any language, you know, anywhere you want to in the world, and you're going to find the basic foundational principles of the gospel message enshrined in there somewhere, even though it has become incredibly obscured. Uh, for instance, the creation story, the flood story. You're going to find creation stories and flood stories, particularly the flood story, mm-hmm. very, very similar to the Bible story right across the world, anywhere you go. On every single continent where there is life, maybe not Antarctica, there is a, a flood legend. That's right. Yes. Multiple flood legends. Yes. Um, and, you know, just about every culture, mm-hmm. you're going to find that. You're also going to find wherever you go the concept of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, that points back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the concept of sacrifice that began uh, in the, you know, immediately after the Garden of Eden, outside the Garden of Eden. And of course, once again, it's going to be abused and it's going to be twisted and it's going to be changed, but you're going to find these common elements. And often you'll find many, 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 many more common elements than just you know the concepts of sacrifice and the flood story and so forth. You're going to find that there are remnants of the gospel story. And so the reality is that there were people all over the world who were true followers of God outside of the nation of Israel. And then you've got people outside of the nation of Israel who become true followers of God. And you find you know people like Uriah the Hittite. Mm-hmm. He's a Hittite. Yeah. The Hittites were a, you know, a major world superpower at that particular time. He is living in Jerusalem. Uh, he is a Gentile, but he is one of David's most trusted servants. He's married to a Jewess, and he has adopted the Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to find, you know, and just because the Bible doesn't talk a lot about these kind of people doesn't mean that they don't exist. You find Balaam, the prophet, and we think, oh, he was a false prophet. Well. He was actually a true prophet who did bad things. Yeah. Because one of the greatest messianic prophecies of all time, the messianic prophecy that the wise men, the magi, followed when they came to see Jesus, was a prophecy of Balaam. And he had nothing to do with Israel. He came from Mesopotamia. Nowhere near the nation of it. He wasn't Israelite. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and then they were wandering in the wilderness and had no connection to Balaam whatsoever at all. But he is a prophet, somebody who has received the gift of prophecy, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he comes from Mesopotamia, you know, thousands of kilometers away. I think what you have to remember about the Bible is it's it's to tell the story of Jesus. Yes. The entire point is to tell the story of Jesus and those who are specifically interacting with him or that are part of his lineage. And so there's a whole world out there experiencing God and God revealing himself. But the Bible is specifically to show us Jesus. Yes. Okay, so if you uh, think about the Ethiopian here for, 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 as an example, he has gone up to the temple for what purpose? To worship. He's gone to the temple to worship God. Mm-hmm. And so he is a true follower of God. And uh, Ethiopia, of course, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a major... It's, it's kind of, you know, you think of Ethiopia today and it's a bit of a forgotten country in our world today. But... You know, when you compare Ethiopia in the Bible, it becomes very, very significant in comparison to other nations. So, for instance, in the Bible, you'll find that there are 20 references to Rome. There are 45 references to Persia. There are 35 references to Greece. Where do you you reckon Ethiopia ranks? Oh, well, because you're making this point, I'm going to guess higher. <laughs> yeah, go higher. Um, 17. Uh, try 91. No way. There are 91 references to Ethiopia in the Bible. No way. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a, couple, a, a few fun facts on Ethiopia. Ethiopia was once um, one of the four largest empires in the world. Hmm. Um, so when you come down to around about 300 AD, you have the Aksumite Ethiopian Empire was one of the four largest empires in the world. In uh, geographically... It rivaled the amount of area that it ruled over, rivaled the Roman Empire. Wow. It was a massive empire. Huh. 
uh, and, and a lot of people don't actually realize that Ethiopia is an African country that you can go to today that has you know archaeological sites with you know huge monumental buildings. The biggest obelisk in the world is in Ethiopia. There are more pyramids in Ethiopia than there are in Egypt. Um, and that, of course, is uh, ancient Ethiopia, which was Kushite Ethiopia, which is now in the Sudan. But that was the Ethiopia that this guy was coming from. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You know, I, I knew Ethiopia had to be a big player when um, the queen, no, it was, the, oh, it was the queen of Sheba. I'm sorry, Camp to Solomon, not Ethiopia. Just kidding. <laughs> well, it's interesting you should say that. Oh, good. You're going to save me. <laughs> because there is every likelihood that the Queen of Sheba mm. um, came from Aksum, uh, which is in Ethiopia. And uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the term of... Uh, the, well, the, the Aksum was the capital of a nation that was called Seba or Sheba. Okay. And so basically what happened was that you had the Aksumite Empire, uh, which was an Ethiopian empire, and... Uh, their territory expanded out of Ethiopia, uh, across the Red Sea, and into what is modern-day Yemen. So, if you think of you know the, the, that mm-hmm. bottom part, and when that empire started to break up, and Yemen broke off because there's that natural marine barrier between the two, um, that part. You know, they became known as two nations, and the Bible actually speaks in the book of Psalms about the nation of Sheba and the nation of Seba. Huh. And this developed when the Aksumite Empire actually split in half with the Red Sea down the middle. Okay. And so when the Bible talks about the Queen of Sheba, there is very high likelihood that she was Ethiopian. Wow, very cool. <laughs> yeah, so you weren't far off the mark. Oh, good. Um, and then you ha- also have, so um, then you also have Kushite Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian that we're talking about here in this story came from Kushite Ethiopia. That's further north. So that's the modern day Sudan. Okay. Um, so modern day Ethiopia used to be called Abyssinia. Mm-hmm. And um, the modern-day Sudan used to be what was Kushite Ethiopia. And the rulers, the female rulers of uh, Kushite Ethiopia were the Kandakis. That was the title for queen. And so when it says Candace, that's not actually her first name. Oh. That's her title. She's queen. Okay. Yeah, the Kandakis. Wow. Yes. Oh, it's fascinating. Ethiopian history. I need to do more research. That's fantastic. (laughs) Ethiopia is like the forgotten empire. It really is. You know, I, I went to Ethiopia. Well, actually, not really. I was going to Zambia to visit my brother, who was a student missionary. And, so you um, changed planes in Ethiopia? No, we, our, our layover was in Addis Ababa, and we got stuck there for a day, both on the way there and on the way back. So we don't necessarily have fond feelings toward Ethiopia. Because <laughs> <laughs> both okay. times our flight just got canceled, and we were just stuck there for 24 hours. And Addis Ababa is <laughs> yeah. a, uh, it's a modern city. Well, it's a recent city, but it's not a modern city. I was going to say, no, it's not modern. We were definitely out. It was very, very, yeah. Yeah, but it's less than 200 years old. Yes. It's not like, it's not like when you go to places like, you know, Aksum, which is, you know, three and a half thousand years old. And you, you can go and see relics there that, you know, date back to, you know, like 
way back into antiquity. Mm-hmm. And you go to Addis Ababa and it's like, yeah, it's 200 years old. And there's nothing there that's 200 years old anyway. Uh, because I think they built 200 years ago has fallen down. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, you saw lots of wood scaffolding everywhere. Yes. <laughs> everywhere. Yes. Yes, a very, uh, a very, very impoverished country today. But but it used to be incredible. Next time you go to Ethiopia, <laughs> get in contact with me and I will tell you the places to go which will absolutely blow your mind um, so with some of the history coming out of it. Well, I'll have to make it a destination and not just a layover. <laughs> yes. You need a week, maybe two. Mm. To, to, to do the basic history tour, uh, you need a week. To do the comprehensive history tour, you need two. And if you actually want to see the country, then there's, you know, this is like one of the most mountainous countries in the world. Hmm. Uh, wow. And there's just a ma- you, you like mountains? I do. Oh, Ethiopia <laughs> would blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, we went hiking one day and our tour guide's like, oh, let's go up to this monastery up on top of the mountain. Like, we looked up and like, yeah, yeah it's all right, let's do that. And uh, so we hiked up there and my friend and I were like completely out of breath. <laughs> and we're like, man, why is it so hard? Elevation. So when we got back to our hotel and we looked up the elevation, it was like 12,500 feet or something or other. And I was like, okay, that kind of that explains why we were out of breath. <laughs> yeah, I love stories um, like this that show us that God is um, at work in the, in the world at large. Yes. Because sometimes I think we get really hyper-focused and we just think that um, God is only concerned about specific areas. And he's truthfully and honestly going after everybody everywhere. And so this little glimpse shows us how desperately he is going for the entire world. And what we've got here is a situation that is out of the ordinary. God comes to Philip and says, go to the desert. Why would you go to the desert? What is there? No one's in the desert. Nobody goes to the desert. So he goes to the desert. He's in the desert. The chariot comes past. He overhears uh, the... Ethiopian reading out loud so you know this is this is the equivalent of um, you know what we do today when we do a road trip he with the Ethiopian was on a road trip it was a road trip to Jerusalem and of course when you go on a road trip what do you do you listen to the radio or you listen to mm-hmm. podcasts if you can't pick up faith FM you <laughs> listen to faith FM via podcast <laughs> and so he's got the podcast going he's sitting there in the charity he's got the podcast going and he's listening to Isaiah Mm-hmm. And it's not just any passage of Isaiah, and this is God's timing, because you can imagine, you know, it takes Philip a while to get down to the desert. It doesn't take him long to get back. That's another story. But it would take him a while to get there, and he arrives just in time so that he hears the Ethiopian read from a passage that is only 12 verses long. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the timing involved in that. And this passage is a prophecy about the Messiah. Yeah. And so God's like, go jump in the chariot. So he does. And uh, he asks, you know, are you familiar with this passage? And, and, and it's kind of, you've got to love the Ethiopian because I read the book of Isaiah and a lot of it tends to go over my head. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is, yeah, all right. I can kind of see where God's heading with this. But, you know, if I'm really going to understand and appreciate it, I'm going to need to spend some time in it. Yep. And this is what is happening. He is reading it and he does not know what this passage is about. This is Isaiah chapter 53, for those of you who might be wondering. But it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And Philip is there, right place, right time, 
jumps up in the chariot. Where, where, where did we get up to in that story? We are on uh, the middle of verse 32. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Yeah, wow. What a prophecy right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when the Ethiopian is reading this and Philip you know, begins to explain it to him, what is it that Philip is explaining from this passage? Well, he's telling him who this, whom this is talking about, Jesus Christ, though the man that he got to walk with on this earth. Okay, what verse did we get up to? Now we're on 34. Okay, let's finish it out to verse 38. Okay. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does a prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. What a great story. It's fantastic. You know, you go to the desert, you uh, preach a sermon on Jesus Christ, you have a baptism, and, well, it probably took him a lot of effort to get there, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit took him home. And so, you know, that was probably the speed of thought. I don't know how long it took him to get home, but he got home rather quickly, I would say. (laughs) Um, That's just kind of finishing out the story right there. And the Ethiopian, the Bible says, goes on his way rejoicing. And what we find is that when he gets to Ethiopia, and we know this from history, he becomes a massive servant of God. The Ethiopian court is converted to Christianity. And Ethiopia becomes the longest continuous Christian nation in the world today. Wow, that's incredible. No other nation has that record. It is the longest continuous Christian nation. In fact, Ethiopia, Aksumite Ethiopia, which was a little bit further south, um, established Christianity as the state religion long before Rome did. Now, I'm not in favor of state religion, don't get me wrong. I believe in separation (laughs) of church and state. I'm just saying that... This is this is the result of what Philip does. You know, Philip go, da, go, da, he, he listens to the Holy Spirit. He goes to the desert. He preaches one sermon, baptizes one guy, and two thousand years later, here we have Ethiopia, which is you know, in, in the world rates religion as one of their Christianity as their highest priority. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different. Okay, so we're talking about Philip, we're talking about the Ethiopian eunuch, we're talking about the spread of the gospel that went to Ethiopia as a result of the Ethiopian eunuch taking it there. And if you go to Ethiopia today, you can go to the ancient uh, capital of Aksum and you can go to the Azana Stone. Now the Azana Stone is the Ethiopian equivalent of the Rosetta Stone in that it is written in three different languages. And one of those languages, you know, is, is still readable today and is still used by the church in Ethiopia today. It's kind of their version of Latin. It's their, it's their, uh, it's, it's, it's their you know, uh, clerical language. Um, and uh, one of the languages is in ancient Sabian or Sheban, as we might say, which has never, ever been deciphered. Wow. It's sitting there waiting to be deciphered. And the Azana Stone... Unlike the Rosetta Stone, which sits behind bulletproof glass as the centerpiece of the British Museum, the Zana Stone sits in a tin shed in the middle of some farmer's paddock on the side of the road. 
Really? Yeah, it's kind of how things are in Ethiopia. That's true. And what's more, it will never be moved because it used to sit beside an ancient highway and it's King Izana's personal conversion testimony. And he's written his testimony. He's written it in three different languages. He's carved it onto this stone. He's set it up behind the, beside the highway. And at the bottom is a line that says that no one is ever to move that stone, that is always to be there so that people can come by and read his testimony of what Jesus did in his life. That's incredible. It's incredible. And, of course, it did fall over and get covered by dirt. And um, a farmer who was plowing you know, some years ago found it and uh, sat it up and put a shed around it. And uh, there it is today. Wow. Yeah, Ethiopia is an amazing country. There's just some phenomenal stuff if you go there. Satan okay. has really attacked that country too. If you think about where it was and what it is today, Satan was definitely afraid of what Ethiopia was going to be doing. Yes. And uh, one of our listeners has texted through to comment that the Jesuits were expelled from Ethiopia in 1633. I wonder why. Hmm. That's an interesting story. They managed to be there for about 12 years uh, to set up a mission there. And basically what it came down to was that the Ethiopians were under pressure from Islam and they wanted to hire mercenaries from Portugal. And the Portuguese said, well, you can only have mercenaries if you also accept the Roman Catholic faith and have our missionaries come. And of course, they sent Jesuits down there. And the Ethiopians accepted that because they needed um, some political help. Uh, but then when they started to look at what the Jesuits were teaching, they're like, yeah, no, nah, this is not going to happen, and expelled them and you know, were, have, have been able to stand on their own and even to cohabit peacefully beside Islam. So about 30% of the population of Ethiopia today is Islamic, but it's one of those countries where you've got, for the most part, um, Christians and Muslims... Uh, worshipping, you know, side by side in peace. You have ethnic tensions in Ethiopia more than you do religious tensions. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, interesting country. Uh, but, yeah, 1633, the Jesuits were booted out. Hmm. We've been distracted. So We were talking about... Yeah, the message of, yes. of this Sabbath That's school right. lesson <laughs> is the fact that um, God wants us to see divine appointments see providential opportunities. And I think that this example that the Sabbath school lesson gave us is quite difficult because I think most of us can resonate with the fact that we don't feel like we have this direct call from the Holy Spirit, go here. Nor do we have a testimony where it's like, okay, we went and then somebody was baptized that day, literally reading from the Bible. Um, so I think that um, this example kind of maybe puts the bar really high and we're like, oh, yeah, see, I, I don't get providential opportunities. You know, I find this one an interesting one, particularly in context of something that you were talking about in relationship to Philip a day or two ago. And I'm wondering, uh, John chapter 6, mm -hmm. um, John chapter 6, verse 5, 6 and 7, if we could go there and we could look at sort of Philip's past history. Yeah, exactly. So it says, but he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Maybe we should have gone back a few more verses. Yeah, sorry. We need a bit more context. Go, yep. go back a verse or two. All right. Um, now the Passover feast of the Jews was near and Jesus was on the mountain there sitting with his disciples and Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Okay. So 
Jesus is asking um, Philip, where should we get bread to feed this big multitude? And Philip is like, are you kidding me, Lord? There's no way, no way that we could ever afford um, to buy bread for everyone. And so here you see um, where Philip is on a journey of faith, right? And you could just read the story about the eunuch and Acts and be like, oh, oh no, I could, I could never um, listen to the Holy Spirit that way. But if you understand Philip's journey and realize that he too spoke huge words of disbelief, but then later you can see he's very in tune with the Holy Spirit. Indeed. You know, when Jesus spoke to Philip, you know, on that, on that particular occasion on the mountain with the great multitude of people there, it was an opportunity for, for Philip to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he just doesn't. He just, he just can't see past the impossibility of what's in front of him. And then we have this contrast here where Philip is hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think the big lesson that comes out of today's Bible study mm. is to be in tune to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, that's what's really standing out to me because Philip was able to lead this person to Jesus Christ because... He could hear the Holy Spirit, and because he could hear the Holy Spirit, he could obey the Holy Spirit, and because he obeys the Holy Spirit, he's there in the desert, leads this person to Christ, uh, this person's baptized, saved, and goes on to you know convert Ethiopia. Yeah. Are we asking for the Holy Spirit every morning? Am I asking for the Holy Spirit every morning? And am I asking for divine appointments? Because I find when I ask, I do have them. Like people I sit on the plane with or people I meet in the grocery store, I have divine appointments when I ask the Lord to give me eyes to see them. Okay, so let's pray for those divine appointments. As we go through today, let's be like Philip and hear and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit as God speaks through us today. This is the idea of Nor.